Good morning, everybody. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 35. And um, I think we've commented several times over the course of the study that uh, the, the book that we know of as Jeremiah is loosely chronological, but not always. Uh, sometimes it's somewhat chronological, sometimes it's somewhat topical. And so in verse 1 of chapter 35, we, hit, we get a little time stamp. And it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So here we have the time stamp of the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So this, is, this tells us that what's happening in chapter 35 and also a similar sort of thing in uh, chapter 36 is basically a flashback to 10, 15, perhaps even up to 17 years before where chapters 32, 33, and 34 were, okay? The little chart that uh, we circulated early on kind of talks about this. You can kind of tell the timing of the chapters by the kings. It's... um, uh, it doesn't really matter in some ways, but um, if you've been trying to keep it straight, um, this one is out of order chronologically, but it kind of fits with the big themes of um, promise breaking versus promise keeping. Um, you might call it covenant keepers or covenant breakers, um, and uh, that's a reminder, and this is to myself, uh, don't forget to sign your covenant during the month of October, which I may have missed a few years. Uh, Don't check me out. Um, Many a a first Sunday in November have I said, oh, gosh. And they're locked away somewhere safe, I'm sure, for the next year. Um, So remind me. (laughs) Um, All right. So this is, uh, you know, we've seen Jeremiah been given uh, different tasks um, periodically, and here we have another little job that God has given Jeremiah. And so we look at verse two, and it says, "His instruction: Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them, and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers. Then offer them wine to drink." So I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them to the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdalia, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, keeper of the threshold. I was going to let Dad read that. <laughs> but I thought I'd plow on through. Then I set before the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they answered, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, you shall, drink not, you shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, you shall not sow seed, you shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in the tents all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, son of Rechab, our father, and all that he commanded us to drink no wine all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, and our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. So uh, here we have this story where um, uh, 
Jeremiah is said, go to this tribe of people and invite them into this section of the temple and the courts and the, the, the royal courts and the temple were kind of quite, uh, somewhat close together. Uh, invite them in, offer them uh, wine to drink, uh, bring lots of it so that there's plenty for everyone, encourage them to drink, and uh, entertain them, and, um, and that's what you should do. So that's what he did. So he goes to these people, and he brings before them. Um, it said um, uh, he offered it to his brothers and his sons, and the whole house uh, brought, them, brought them in. So who are these people, the Rechabites? Uh, if, you've, if you've read ahead, you'll know this is kind of a cool little uh, connection of stories. So it all starts um, all the way back to Jethro, who was who? Moses' father-in-law was Jethro. So um, if you want, you can turn back to Judges, a little Bible drill action here, present swords, um, Joshua Judges, there we go. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing very well. Judges um, chapter 1, uh, verse 16 says, And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev, near Arad, and they went and settled with the people. We've heard about this wilderness area, the, the Negev. So this is kind of southern desert people. So this is um, the, the distant relatives or the, the progeny, the uh, people of Jethro, um, the Kenites, and they uh, were people who settled in this southern region. And we'll see in the, the verse I didn't read, which we'll read in a, a moment, this was a nomadic tribe. So they were uh, probably shepherds wandering around with their flocks through pretty barren, arid areas. So going from watering hole to watering hole, looking for, for places. And, and that's who these people were. And we hear about them again in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Verse 6, so here we did 1 Samuel not too long ago, and we know that Saul uh, was given some tasks, some of which that he accomplished and some of which he freelanced, um, not necessarily in a good way. But in any event, um, in the first few verses of chapter 15, um, it says, uh, Samuel said to Saul, um, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now listen to the words. And he gives Saul instructions to to go take care of the Amalekites, all right? Um, So Saul proceeds to do this. So in verse four, it says, so Saul summoned the people and numbered them, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So here the Kenites have been in this territory. They're nomads. They're not really part of the people of the Amalekites, but they're, they're in the neighborhood, so to speak. 
And, but they have a good reputation as being uh, friendly to the nation of Israel. They helped them when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. Um, and, and Saul saying, y'all need to get out of the way because I don't want to hurt you in the process of taking care of the Amalekites. Uh, so, so that's kind of what they did. So we move forward now. We hear this, this name of Jonadab. So Jonadab, it says... Um, was their ancestor. Um, so we have Rechabites, Kenites. Uh, these are all the same people, all right? And, and then we have Jonadab. Jonadab, when Elijah um, defeated the prophets of Baal, and he got, you know, it was amazing victory, right? And, but then on this mountaintop experience, and then he gets profoundly depressed, and he feels like he's the only one that is doing anything for God. And God reminds him, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Uh, Jonadab was one of those 7,000. So this is a godly man, a godly lineage. And what happened was, at some point in time, for reasons that we don't totally know, but he gave a command to his family. I don't want you to drink wine. I don't want you to build houses. I don't want you to plant vineyards. I want you to basically have this particular lifestyle as, as a nomadic people, um, and this is a command I'm giving to you. Um, possibly because um, there were a lot of, uh, of, you know, we know about the Canaanites and a lot of other people that were not fully eradicated from the promised land, and we know, you know, we know why that happened. Um, disobedience. Um, they should have been wiped out, but they weren't. Uh, so for, for reasons that to preserve the integrity and the legacy of his family, he gave them this set of rules. So here we are. Now it's 200 years later. All right? 200 years later, and this command that this ancestor had given to this tribe, which is now called the Rechabites, Jeremiah goes to them and says, come in and drink wine. And they say, we're not going to do that. Because we were told not to do that. They were told once, and then that carried forward with enough weight that they were still following that command. They were still nomads. In fact, if you go to um, verse 11, they explain, um, it says, But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land and said, Come, let us go, we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and the army of the Assyrians. The Assyrians. So we were living in Jerusalem. In other words, we're here now because of the threat. Um, that's really the only reason we're here. Uh, normally, we wouldn't even be here. Uh, but that's why we're here, but we're still not going to do what you have asked us to do. Uh, so it continues. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. Now he's going to contrast the obedience of the Kenite clan, now called the Rechabites, he's going to contrast their obedience to what they were told by their earthly ancestor with the disobedience that they've demonstrated 
to the word of their, of their heavenly father. And it says, um, verse 14, the command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I've spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I've sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. The sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them, but this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Your house is going to always have honor before me. Um, there, as, as part of that tribe, they probably would have had maybe a priestly representative to stand in the temple. When it says stand before me, that could mean standing in the temple. But there's going to be this ongoing blessing simply because of their obedience and their heritage of supporting um, the God that brought people out of Egypt and so forth. So um, it's, it's really interesting. And they were talking about these Rechabites, which was interesting. They said they were maybe a cross between um, uh, the hippies and the Amish. So the kind of freewheeling folks, nomads, uh, but they kind of kept to themselves like the Amish. They, they were, through their commitment, tried to insulate themselves from the culture, which was mostly pagan, um, and and they're honored for that, and it's um, it just was very it's a very interesting story I think yeah go ahead. I was going to add uh, could these or ask actually could these people also be kind of the nomadic that we see today the nomadic uh, herds of camels that do a, they, they they make those journeys. Yeah, it could it could easily be possible um, that that some of those descendants are still wandering that same territory. Um, when, uh, they have a very high uh, uh, ethic mm-hmm. for hospitality. Uh, when you're allowed into a tent or something, they greet people and they really take care of each other. Uh, yeah, um, that that lifestyle I think is um, is still alive today. Uh, as Pastor Bobby's been trying to get um, us uh, on the steering committee and the elders uh, up to speed a little bit, he shared with us a a, a devotional book that where this um this guy went to hang out with these tribes these nomadic tribes um and and hung out with them for for several years and um the the culture seemed very similar to what you have described here and so um you might say is that isolationist or is that um like a a protective sort of thing And, and maybe it's a little bit of both but um, I think that just the the concept that that what a godly dad, granddad, and so forth could instill upon his family that they continued to follow it for centuries 
I mean, we're happy if we even know who our ancestors 200 years ago were, right? I mean, people spend years of study just to, you know, find out who you're connected to, and there's a big industry with all that right now. But think about if it was handed down over and over and over again without computers, without books, without anything but oral tradition, but that got transmitted so faithfully uh, and 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 you can't transmit the words without transmitting some of the heart behind those words. Otherwise, I don't think they stick for 200 years. Uh, so I, it just got me thinking. You know, um, are there are there words that we need to be instilling to our children and grandchildren that might be worth carrying forward for a while? And and if so, what what are those words? Um, uh, that was. Uh, that was interesting to me. And that wraps up 35. Just a nice self-contained chapter. Um, and I, I love it for the way that it brings forth that echo of all the way from Jethro. First, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So once again, um, we have this timestamp of Jehoiakim uh, is, is still on the throne. Uh, Josiah was good. His son, Jehoiakim, not good. And we'll see that as we go along. And again, uh, this, this uh, takes place um, in roughly the time frame as chapter 25. Verse 2, it says, uh, this is the instruction to Jeremiah. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. So, okay, Jeremiah, here's the thing. Uh, everything you've been saying for the last 10 or 20 years, I'd like for you to write all that down. I hope you've been taking notes. And still have them. And, and still have them. And they haven't crumbled or withered or been moth-eaten. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing that there was perhaps some divine recollection going on here. But uh, in any event, it says, uh, Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So, Jeremiah, I know you've been telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them. Clearly, that's not working. Maybe if we write it down, maybe that will reach them, right? So, once again, being the ever-merciful long-suffering, kind God, uh, once again, is going to try a different angle to see if he can reach the people. So verse 4, Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord. We don't really know why Jeremiah was, was banned, probably because he was uh, not speaking nice things to the uh, people, you know, remember he was throwing pots all over the place and telling them that they were worthy of the dung pile. And, you know, he probably wasn't a popular guy among the authorities. Uh, so he was, he was banned. So he sent jo uh, Baruch in his place. He says, I'm banned from going to the house of the Lord. So you are to go. And on a day of fasting and in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, 
In other words, pick a, pick a big day when everybody's there and you've got their attention. Uh, read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written in my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil way for great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Baruch the son of Neriah did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about the reading from the scroll, the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Uh, so this was a probably a pretty big project. I don't know how long it would have taken, but um, once that's done, it says uh, in the fifth year, uh, etc. All the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And I will now spare myself some of these names, but the gist of it is he he reads um, all the prophecies um, to this group of folks, some of which include um, royal court uh, folks and, um, and, and one of their sons. And so one of their sons, who is Micaiah, uh, he hears what's going on. He he is um, uh, pricked by what he has heard, and he feels that this message needs to be brought officially into uh, the royal court. So he t- takes uh, Baruch uh, to um, uh, a gathering of um, of his dads and so forth, and they read it again. And um, and verse fifteen it says, and they said said to him, sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. And when they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear because they knew this was not good against the current administration, right? Uh, It's like if one little section of the cabinet heard the truth and said, hmm, uh, I don't think this is going to go down well. Uh, What do we do with this information? And um, they said, well, the best thing is to do, we better come clean and report all this to the king. So that's what they did. Um, we must report all these words to the king, verse 17. Then they asked Baruch, tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Because they know they're going to be quizzed, right? Uh, they're going to be quizzed when they take this on up the chain. In verse 18, Baruch answered them, and he said, he dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, y'all get out of here. Go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. In other words, we're going to thank you. Uh, we appreciate your service. <laughs> Um, uh, we'll take it from here. Uh, y'all need to leave. Uh, and, and we don't want to know where you are, and you, you guys need to, to just get out of here. Um, verse 20. So they went, that is these officials who now have uh, Baruch's scroll. Uh, they went into the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of uh, Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood before the king. It was the ninth month. It was winter. There was a fire. He was in this section of the palace that would have been easier to keep warm. There's a fire pot before him. Verse 23, as Jehudi read three or four columns, so this is going to be a long scroll, right? Because it was a long list of prophecies, right? So this is probably a pretty good-sized scroll. So it reads three or four columns. As he would do this, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. 
You know, people were fine with it. Nobody was saying, oh my gosh, look at these words of God written by Baruch via Jeremiah. You know, I'm going to rip my clothes in, in protest. Nope, none of that happened. They just hung out and were fine with it, basically, by <laughs> consent. Um, and it says, even there were a few people, it says, verse 25, they urged the king not to burn the scroll, but they wouldn't listen, uh, he wouldn't listen to them. And uh, they said, by the way, go ahead and seize Baruch and Jeremiah, but the Lord hid them. So just just the arrogance, the callousness, the um, deafness to the Lord was just just absurd um, with Joachim. Um, and here's verse 27. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy the land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, says the Lord, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night, and I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I pronounced against them, but they would not hear. Then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch the scribe, who wrote on it at the dictation, etc., and then some. It says, and many similar words were added to them. So not only did he redo it, he said, oh yeah, I need to add some stuff uh, in light of what has happened. So here we have, if you look at these two chapters side by side now, here we have the bad side of this, the dark side of this, right? We have a king who has been privileged to hear the words of Jeremiah the prophet, has been privileged to receive the entirety of his oracles, to have them read him, and there was nothing but disdain and disgust, and, you know, it all goes into the fire. And unlike the descendants of the Rechabites, who will always have a place of honor before the Lord, Perhaps even some of those descendants today are benefiting from that, which is kind of cool. In contrast, you will not have a proper burial. You will be exposed to the elements. And furthermore, your household, it's not going to ever go well for them. Just amazing contrast between uh, these two groups of people. Uh, there were a couple of stories that I came across um, as I was thinking about this. Um, this this concept of Jeremiah dictating to Baruch and writing it all down uh, made me think of my favorite movie, which I've quoted before, The Book of Eli. Have you guys seen this? Um, it's Denzel Washington, who I've heard may be a Christian, um, but I love this this film, if you don't know the story, um, spoiler alert, um, 
he is entrusted with taking um, his most prized possession, which turns out to be a copy of the Bible, to, um, to preserve it from the apocalypse and, and to get it into good hands. And along the way, someone uh, takes it from him and um, for evil purposes, and so he doesn't have it anymore. But when he finally gets to his destination, he is able to recite it word for word and faithfully deliver it where it should go. That's what I pictured, and um, I don't think it'll spoil anything if you watch the movie. It is a little violent, um, which the good guys win, so I like that part. Um, is it just called Eli? The Book of Eli is what it's called. Um, uh, and it's really um, really well done, I, I must say, uh, especially by, by Hollywood standards. Um, but then I came across another story where... This is back in the days of Tyndall, uh, which is what, 14, 1500s, doing some translation work. And at this time, the Catholics were in power in in England, and the archbishop there uh, was seeing all these copies of Scripture come uh, being published by Tyndall and um, was wasn't liking it, and, and to make an object lesson was burning all the Bibles that he could find. And apparently, the, and apparently this is a true story, that um, a, a businessman sympathetic to Tyndall goes to the archbishop and says, tell you what I'll do. I'm going to be heading over there. I'll buy up all the copies. That way you'll have plenty to burn. I'll just buy them all up. And the archbishop says, that sounds great. I'll give you the money. So that happens. So he goes, gives them the money, and, and Tyndall says, this is great because the copies I've been making, aren't. I, I've, got, I've got additions and revisions and everything I need to make, and all this money is going to help me make it even better for the next time. So all the bad copies get taken back and get burned, and then the archbishop is just puzzled why all these more and more keep coming? Because, um, because he's funded the new initiative. It's, it's a, 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 good, a good story. Um, so the point is, um, if God wants his message in front of the people, it's going to get there. Um, you know, killing the messenger or imprisoning the messenger or, in this case, burning the message is not going to work for you. All right, so that takes us through the end of chapter 36. Uh, I I like these two little chapters. They live nicely side by side. I think they do reinforce each other. And again, the concept of what happens to covenant keepers versus what happens to covenant breakers. And and then this, it does make us think in terms of uh, legacy and the things that we... um, that we share down the road. So uh, I'll pause there. Uh, any other comments? Yes. That's an ex-Catholic. I will say this. I've, I've studied a little bit on it too. That the, the reason they were burned is they were speaking the common language of the English and they were all translating from Latin to English. And so even Tyndall was killed. He was burned himself. I mean, he got burned by these, uh, these heretics, I call them. Uh, but but basically, uh, as you know, they wanted to keep it from the people, evil ones wanted to keep it from the people, keep it all in Latin. And when he was translating, uh, they didn't like that. That's yeah. why they burned it. Yeah. And so, uh, the, I, again, it's just part of Satan's way of getting into the church 
And uh, I still believe today that a lot of, as you can see, a lot of stuff, even some of the bishops are revolting against this particular church right now, the Catholic Church. Mm. And uh, I'm praying for them to come become born again. The Catholics have no idea what it means to be born again, most Catholics. Yeah. So just be praying for them. But uh, it's the same old thing. They yeah. want to keep the word of God out of the common people. And, yeah. uh, so I, I will say one more thing. I've never really read the Bible while I was in the Catholic Church. We got doctrine. We learned all about cardinals and nuns and all these rituals and ringing bells and lighting candles. It wasn't until I was in the Air Force and somebody gave me a poor spiritual law tract to read because he knew he couldn't argue with me because I was just too mad for the world. Gave me a four spiritual law track, and I read the prayer at the end of that and came to Christ. Back Amen. When I was 21 years old. Amen. And out of my, out of my eight kids in the family, uh, seven, uh, six of them are not believers. Amen. Thanks, God. Amen. It can happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can be a Catholic and, and be saved, but, but it's not easy. No. You got to wade through a lot of stuff uh, to get there. And. So, uh, so pray for, uh, for our friends um, that uh, a lot of it's cultural. You know, it's how you're brought up, how you're raised, and there's a familiarity and loyalty and, com- you know, there's a certain comfort that comes with the familiar that we've talked about before, but we always hope that the, the gospel pushes through all of that. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes? Just occurred to me that the stories that we had Today probably account for why things aren't chronological. Yeah. <laughs> the Spirit allowed him to recall these things and, and write them down, and he added as uh, and, and stimulated Jeremiah's memory yeah. as he was writing. Yeah. Karen. Did you tell me what he said? Yeah. So he said this. The these two chapters side by side uh, are a good example of perhaps why it's not always chronological because uh, here you have these two little uh, vignettes that by being positioned where they are, uh, do reinforce each other from a positive and a negative standpoint. So there's a, 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 a divine reason why we have it the way we have it today. Uh, I did bring it out, uh, but um, there were several archeological things that, that um, came across. Apparently there's been inscriptions that um, support, um, you know, this was five, 600, BC, but they found inscriptions with the name of Baruch that uh, that seemed to attest to that there really was this person in this time uh, to kind of support that. Um, the story about um, the 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 temple court or the um, royal court that that heard the message um, from Baruch and then took it back. Uh, one of the all those peoples that were named, they found one of those names. Uh, on some seals in that particular part of the temple that where they were supposed to be hanging out. So uh, some nice archaeological confirmation. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you that you care about covenants, that you always keep yours. We pray that you would help us to uh, be faithful to the commands that you've given us and that you help us to uh, transmit those to uh, those that we love and care about and that... um, you inspire us to inspire them uh, to continue to be faithful to you in, in all the ways that you would have them. Uh, we thank you for this community in this room and that um, we get to see how they 
uh, care and love for each other and, and thereby uh, reflect that love that you give us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.